Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Wow, you guys have a lot of energy for 9.15 p.m. I love it. Oh, it is so good to be here. In so many ways, it feels like home. So thank you uh, for having me. Um, like Josh said, I am a lead pastor in Erie, Pennsylvania. I've been serving in that role for seven years. These wooers are because they go to my church. Okay, that's why they're these guys, which we love Kyle so much. Um, I have an incredible team. I, uh, here's my church. Here's a picture of it. Usually there's like eight feet of snow on the ground. So I took this in like June when there was the one day there wasn't. Um, and so uh, I have a, just a privilege to serve um, that congregation. However, I want you to know Kyalfa runs in my blood, okay? Uh, before pastoring a local church, I was a Chi Alpha campus pastor for 12 years with my awesome husband, Joel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We were student leaders um, in Springfield, Missouri, uh, at Southwest Missouri State University. Uh, Then we did an internship in Washington, D.C. at American University with Mike and Jen Godswa. Yes, amazing. And after that, we pioneered Chi Alpha in Erie at multiple universities. And so truly the Chi Alpha DNA will never leave my bones, okay? It's always just something in there. And so I'm so grateful um, to be here and to see what God's been doing um, over all these years. Um, currently, my husband, Joel, is the Pendle District Director for Chi Alpha, and he continues to work on local um, campuses in our town with some amazing top-shelf directors who are all here today, too. I want to give a shout-out to Edinburgh and Barron um, as they're here and their teams. Uh, we have three amazing daughters, Cecily, Haley, and Mercy. There's a little picture of us. Um, and we vacation in Myrtle Beach as often as we can. And most of my diet consists of queso. Those are probably the two things that you need to know about me. Uh, but we love Kyle Nation. So before I jump in here, would you turn to the person directly behind you and tell them how you got involved in Kyle for 30 seconds? About eight years ago... But about eight years ago or so, maybe a little bit longer, um, I went to a country music concert. Now, don't boo me if you're not a country music fan. And I saw Rascal Flatts. All right. Okay. God bless the broken road. Okay. Which is a terrible song because it's like, I'm so glad I had all these breakups and I'm finally with you. But anyway, um, It was awesome. It was fantastic. It was entertaining. It was a lights out show. And there were a few opening bands, as usually are, uh, that we truly didn't pay a lot of attention to. They were kind of mediocre. You know those opening bands that sort of fill the stage. They're just kind of waiting for you to get to the anticipated main event. And I went with my sister-in-law, Beth, and after the concert, uh, we wanted to meet Rascal Flatts. And so we stood in line for over an hour because we like desperately wanted to meet them. And the line was not moving and we were getting antsy and we, we just had to go. And so we decided to give up and we would, you know, use the restroom and leave. And as we were walking toward the restroom, 
in this back hallway, in this very corner of this convention center, there was a small table. Uh, I, I distinctly remember it was right by the bathroom, and it was this enormous lobby. It was this little table in the back, and this, I mean, this person could not have been in a worse spot. And behind the table stood this girl who sang the very opening act. Like, if you weren't there exactly on time, you wouldn't have even seen her, okay? But we remember this girl is there, and, and, and I remember saying to my sister-in-law, oh, that's so sad. There's no one like talking to her we should maybe we should go up and be like hi you know good job like you know just cheering people on we don't want them to feel bad about you know their efforts and and so on the way to the bathroom we stop by and we say like it was kind of like a pity stop like good job you know like you did you did good and uh, I remember I specifically talked to her about the Clinique scent that she liked because like I was wearing Clinique perfume and so this is like our bonding moment and I remember very specifically she asked us if we wanted a photo okay you know that's desperate when they ask you you know right and I'm like we're like sure sure we'll you know we'll, we'll get in a photo with you and this, the, the, the singer's mom took the photo because she didn't have a manager yet. She wasn't big enough. And I brought the photo with me today. <laughs> you guys, it was, it was Taylor Swift. <laughs> Is that your girlfriend? That's good. This is Taylor Swift, 15 years old, pre-mega millionaire rock star. Today, she packs out stadiums, right? She dates Travis Kelsey, which we know way too much about on social media. Uh, Now, looking back, I do wish I would have done something different that day. I wish I would have asked her to promise 3% of her earnings to Chi Alpha. You know, like, just don't forget the little guys. (laughs) But, But here's the truth. I wasn't really impressed with her that day. She had no fans. She had no stardom. She was just starting out with teardrops on her guitar, okay? That's all she had, all right? And she was just doing what she could do. And I would not have waited in line to talk to her. I would not have paid for a ticket to see her. I would not have followed her anywhere. In fact, that that day I walked away and I did not think about her again until years later, when I was feeling 22. Come on, that was, Josh, that was, that was as good as you would do. Okay, um, <laughs> I was not a fan of Taylor Swift. A- a- whatever the term is, I was less than a fan. I was almost a fan. I was, maybe I was a potential fan, like someday I would be a fan. Uh, but definitely in that moment, I had no idea who she was and there was no um, draw to her in any way. So there was this man in the Bible And he was intrigued by Jesus. And much like my experience with Taylor Swift, he wasn't a follower yet, but he was curious. He was a potential fan. He was impressed by Christ. He admired Christ, but still he was kind of holding back. And I want to start here tonight in John 3. Don't worry, I'm done with the Taylor Swift lyrics. All analogies end somewhere, Um, but, (laughs) but it was a fun time. All right, so let's read in John 3, 1 through 3. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
So, so let's stop there for a moment. It says that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Okay, he was a member of the Jewish council. Uh, that was a very important position, a respected position. When he walked down the streets of, of Jerusalem, people knew who he was. They pointed him out. In fact, they probably said to their children, uh, this man is of great esteem. Uh, when you get older, you should try to be like Nicodemus on the Jewish council, making these important decisions for our city. In many ways, in that time, the Pharisees were like the best people in the whole country. The cream of the crop. There, there were never more than about 6,000 of them. They were a very close brotherhood. The club was elite. And they entered into this brotherhood by taking this pledge in front of three witnesses that they would spend all of their lives trying to observe the details of the scribal law the best they could to the T. And for the scribes and the Pharisees, these laws or rules were a matter of life and death. They took them very, very seriously. Following these rules meant they were in good standing with God. So if they did all the things perfectly, God liked them. If they didn't, God could be unhappy with them. And so they worked really hard to know the rules, to memorize the rules, to say the rules to each other, and to actually live the rules to a T. Nicodemus, we, are, we have been told, was a really, really good Pharisee. He was known for obeying the rules flawlessly. And when we read this passage, at least for me, I think to myself, why would Nicodemus even go to Jesus with this question? What is causing Nicodemus uh, to have this moment where he feels like he even needs an answer? He, he's doing the, the perfectly things. He, he's following everything. His standing with God, he should feel, is just completely secure. And so what would make him come to Jesus, even if he has a question, what, what would do that? And I believe that Nicodemus must have sensed that there was something more. There must be something more than this law that I've been following. There must be something more. The person of Jesus had more to offer than any religious set of principles. And Nicodemus said, I want to know more. I want to go deeper. I'm going to have to go and talk to him and ask Jesus what it means to go deeper with my faith. Because these rules are kind of leaving me empty. He had a casual relationship with Jesus. He knew about Jesus, but there was more than that to be had. And Nicodemus wanted to take his relationship with Jesus to the next level. I don't think Nicodemus knew what that meant or, or what that would look like or what that would cost of him. But Nicodemus, in his heart, he, he didn't know what to do with that. But he wanted to take his relationship with Jesus to the next level, however that looked. As I've been praying, I believe there's some of you in this room tonight that know this feeling. And maybe you don't know how to describe it exactly, but, but I want to tell you in John 3, Nicodemus felt it too. Maybe you have a casual relationship with Jesus and, and you're here at Salt because like this is exciting to you and, and you want to look around and you're kind of seeing how people are responding, but you don't want to just watch them respond anymore. You want to take your relationship with Jesus to the next level, but you don't know how. You don't know what that looks like. You don't know what that even takes. But I want to tell you, Christ himself is calling you to go deeper with him. And believing in Jesus and knowing Jesus are two incredibly different levels of relational intimacy. Believing in Jesus and knowing him are very, very different. 
I had a two-minute conversation with Taylor Swift. She'll never remember me again. I don't know her, but I've met her before. And so what, what's describing here is Nicodemus is saying, look, I believe in all the things that, that, that faith is teaching me, but I want to know the guy who's teaching me the things. I want to be in relationship with Jesus. And so believing him and knowing him are two incredible different levels of intimacy. I think some of us know God by reputation. Like I just mentioned, maybe you've heard about him. Maybe you've been to, to church a few times or Kyle a few times. Maybe you've heard some Bible stories or um, you have a coffee mug with a scripture on it. Uh, but it's all secondhand information. Jesus feels very much like the guy that my best friend knows or the guy that my roommate has relationship with. Jesus feels like a, like a generation away. Some of you might know God, uh, but it's in your memories Maybe at one time in your life, you truly experience his goodness and his grace and his love, but that was in the past. And Jesus sort of feels like that old high school friend that you bump into, and now that there's been so much time passed, they're familiar, but you don't know anything about their life. You know who they are, you know things about them, but you don't know them. And God is good in your memories, but he's not in your right now. And the truth in John 3 is a truth for today. With Jesus, there is always more. With Jesus, there is always more. He is calling us from casual to committed. And he had more for Nicodemus. We're going to walk that out here in a minute. And I want you to know he has more for you this weekend. Wherever you are, if you're feeling like God's the God of your memories, God's the God of reputation, maybe you're in the best place you've ever been spiritually, let me tell you something, God has more for you. God has more for you. Whether you've come a a super long way in this this past semester, or whether you feel kind of dead on the inside, God has more for you, and he has more for you tonight, and that's in the scripture we find that as Nicodemus is seeking it. So let's uh, look a little closer at this passage. Um, In verse 2, It tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. All right, did you guys notice that when you read it? It's it's a real little phrase. You might skip over it if you read it quickly, but it's actually pretty important to the text. Why at night? Why did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? What's significant about that? Well, first worth noting, night is dark. I got my master's degree, you guys, so I just want you to know. At night, it's dark outside. And these two small words, they aren't just about night on the outside. They're not just about night because the sun goes down. At times when the scripture references night, it's saying more than meets the eye. It means there is darkness. Darkness maybe on our inside. Maybe you would describe your heart right now is at night. There are things inside of you that you can't quite reconcile. There are difficulties. There is suffering that you're experiencing. Nicodemus had night on the inside of him. He was struggling. He was suffering. He knew something was missing. He was hollow. Maybe he was lonely. He had night inside of him. And the scripture is showing us just by this little phrase. Nicodemus may have come to Jesus at night because he had this this pain in his heart, this this longing that he wanted to understand there's more of God. 
Another reason Nicodemus may have come to Jesus at night is because he didn't want anyone to know. You know, his reputation as a really great Pharisee would not go over very well if they knew he was sneaking off to talk to Jesus about what else he could do. And so he may have said to Jesus, I got to go talk to him, but I got to go at night so that nobody sees me. All of his reputation, all of his esteem was at risk. He was hiding his questions and he didn't want his other pharisaical friends to think that he was any less. And so if he went at night, the rendezvous would be anonymous. Maybe no one would ever know. And we don't know all of Nicodemus's motives. We, it doesn't say in the scripture, those are implications. But here's what we do know in the scripture is we know how Jesus responds. Oh, and I love this about the Lord. I love this about the Lord. Watch this. Maybe Jesus was sleeping. I mean, it was night. Maybe he was catching up on his Netflix series. I don't know. Maybe he was eating dinner. We don't know what Jesus was doing. But whatever Jesus was doing, here's how we know he responded. He stopped. And he spoke to Nicodemus exactly about the questions he had. That's my God. He's never too busy. It's never the wrong time. Sometimes people criticize others for coming to Jesus only when they're desperate. Let me tell you, that's a great time to come to Jesus. And he responds whenever and however you come. And so if you are here and you're in the night season of your life, listen, Jesus is waiting for you. You don't have to go figure it all out before you respond to him this weekend. He's not waiting for you to to, to make all your doubts secure and and get all the answers that you're looking for in the scripture. He's not waiting for your life uh, to clean up and for everything that, that maybe is not his will to be out of it. He just wants you to come. And it's better to come to Jesus at night than not at all. It's better to come to Jesus at night than not at all. And I want to remind you, there is no bad time to come to Jesus. There is no hour that Jesus is unwilling to attend to your need. He's waiting for you at night, in the morning, and all through the day. And he is always happy to hear from you. And he desires this committed relationship from us. And in return, Jesus never leaves us on red. He is unfailing. He is unwavering. He is forever faithful. So let's look in John 3. What happens? So Nicodemus comes in the night and he's talking to Jesus and he says to Jesus, how can someone be born when they are old? And Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So my first uh, reactions or responses to this segment of scripture is that Nicodemus might have been a really intelligent man, a really, really great Pharisee, but he should probably retake eighth grade health class, okay? (laughs) Because he just was not understanding what was happening, Right, Nicodemus, I don't mean climbing back into the womb as a grown person. Gross, like impossible. Ah, Jesus was so patient, wasn't he? Like with, with his dealings with people. He's so patient with us. In fact, in this moment, Nicodemus reminds me of this guy. Road work ahead. 
Uh, yeah, I sure hope it does. Road? There, <laughs> oh, there are actually many examples of people in the scripture who mistakenly took Christ's words very literally. Uh, in John 2, Jesus says, destroy the temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And the Jews that were listening to him at that time said, it took 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But Jesus wasn't talking about a physical temple. He was talking about his body, but they didn't understand. Uh, in John 4, uh, Jesus was speaking about living water. He was offering living water to a Samaritan woman. And she, all she could think about was physically water to drink. She could not understand what he was saying. Listen, Jesus is speaking on a spiritual level, and these people are taking him on a literal level. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus about being born again, and he's taking it literally, not spiritually. You can hear God's words, but unless you have more than a casual relationship with him, you will not be able to grasp it. You see, what happens is you need to be intimately tuned into Jesus' heart to actually understand what he's saying. And religion takes things literally. What do you mean we have to crawl back in our mother's womb? What do you mean I have to build a temple that takes forever in three days? Religion does that. But relationship with Christ can grasp what God really means, what God deeply means. Religion hears born again and thinks physically you have to climb back into your mother. But relationship with Jesus sees and hears this as an entirely different experience. I want to tell you today, we always need to be asking Jesus to show us how he sees things, how he sees people, what he means by the things he chooses to do. It would have made all the difference for Nicodemus, and it will change drastically our intake on what Christ is trying to communicate with us. Don't be too quick to assume that you see and understand the things the way God does. He is working in millions of ways that we don't often see. And sometimes we take things so literally and the Holy Spirit is saying, mm, get closer to me and I'll clear that up for you. Get closer to me and I'll make sure that you understand it. And as we get closer to Jesus, the words of him come alive in us and we have an even closer relationship with him. Verse 7 Jesus answers Nicodemus, and I, I just love the Lord here. He says, if you want to go deeper, if you want to stop being a potential fan, a potential follower, you have to, if you want to move to be a committed follower, then you have to do something really important. And Jesus says this, you must be born again. You must be born again. Now imagine the shocked look on Nicodemus's face when Jesus says to him, um, all the rules you've been working on for all these years, all the ways that you're very important in your community actually aren't counting. They, they actually aren't doing it. The rules precisely will not save you. You must be born again. In the original language, a closer meaning would be translated born afresh. This words actually mean from the very beginning. And so Jesus is saying no one can see the kingdom of God unless a person starts a new life over from the very beginning. 
Your old life ends. Much of your old life cannot come into your new life. Much of your old decisions, much of your old thinking patterns, much of your old relationships at times, much of your old life cannot come into your new life. And here Nicodemus learns this piercing truth that if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to let Jesus interfere with your life. You cannot do it on the side. You cannot fit it into a box. You cannot say, I've got this all figured out, God, and you can have Thursdays from 6 to 8. That's not how it works. If you want to see the kingdom of God, Jesus has to mess up your plans. And so Nicodemus, he's comfortable, he's content, he's important. He does all the things that in his culture of peers are saying, you're really good at this. And he thought he was all set. And Jesus says, listen, Nicodemus, you can come to me at night all you want. But following me never happens in the hidden parts of your life. Following me never happens in the cover of darkness. I've heard people say this. Yeah, yeah, my, I'm religious. I, I have faith, but it's private. Like, it's private. So don't, like, don't ask me about it, you know? Like, don't get in my business about what's going on in my life. Listen, faith in Jesus Christ is deeply personal, but in no way can it be exclusively private. In no way. It can't. And this is what Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus. And he's saying, look, I want you to know me personally, but you know what it's going to take for you to leave your old life and go into a new life. You can try to preserve your reputation. You can try to keep things under control and neat and tidy, but you will still fall short every time. Jesus says, you must be born again. You have to give Jesus access into all the pieces and parts, surrendering your own will repenting and believing in Jesus. And now people call this experience in church world being saved, right? Or being born again. In Titus 3 verse 5, he uses the term regeneration. Listen, it all means the same thing. It means that spiritually you get a new life. Spiritually you trade your old life for a new one and you get a brand new start. If you're here tonight and you've never made that decision, maybe you've even thought you made that decision, but as I'm explaining it to you right now, it has become very clear to your heart that you have never actually made that decision. I want to read you a verse in Romans 10 that says, uh, gives you a, a pathway to making that decision. And it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is not just a mental or intellectual acceptance. This is a belief that causes commitment to Jesus. This is a decision to put Christ at central command of your life. It's deeper than knowing in your mind who Jesus is. It's deeper than knowing the people that know Jesus. It's deeper than uh, knowing the reputation that Jesus is good. It's believing that Jesus is who he says he is. I heard a story once of a missionary um, who was having uh, a hard time describing to the people that he was reaching what the word believe meant. And there just wasn't like a word in the native language that, that connected with it. And one day a local man ran into the missionary's hut and he was completely exhausted because he had run a long way. And he threw himself on a hammock and he breathed this sigh. And he uttered a word in his own language. 
And the missionary said, uh, what, what was that word right there? What did that mean? And he said, it means I'm resting all my weight here. Right here, nowhere else. All parts of me, everything about me is right here in this hammock. And the missionary jumped from his chair and he said, that's what it means to believe. That's what it means to believe, to rest all your weight, all your hopes, all your dreams, all your expectations, all your disappointments in Jesus Christ and nowhere else. As if Jesus is the hammock that you fall into to rest your soul in for eternity, you rest all your weight. You believe in Jesus. If you've never made this decision before, in a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that commitment. But before we move to that, something important to know is that salvation is free. Listen to me. Salvation is free. But following Jesus will always cost you something. It might cost you old habits, old addictions, old ways of thinking, old ways of talking, old things you tell yourself, old ways of doing business. But what it costs will pale in comparison to what you get in return. Because when you give your life to Jesus, you get Jesus. You get his presence and his power and his peace in your life. I think there's probably a lot of you here today that have already had, or you would say you've had this born-again experience that Jesus and Nicodemus are talking about, and you believe Jesus died on a cross for you and was raised to life again in three days and lives forever in your heart. But let me remind you, salvation's free, but following Jesus always costs something. And the question I have for you tonight, that maybe you would say you're already born again, is what has following Jesus cost you lately? How have you allowed Jesus to intervene with your plans and with your days and the way you want to run your life? And if you're sitting here today and you can't really think of anything, or you would say, well, you know, not much because I... I, I, go to Kyalfa and I go to church and I, I read my Bible and I, I do the things that I'm supposed to do. I follow all the rules really, really well. If that's maybe your answer this evening, is it possible that you have moved from being once devoted to Jesus, but now you're just sort of cheering him on from a distance? You're a Jesus fan, You'll go to his stuff. You'll make sure that you, you, know, you, you repost the thing. But truly, if it hasn't cost you anything lately, then are you really chasing after Jesus? Or are you just simply impressed by him? Have you stopped changing and growing? Have you stopped being born afresh and anew? Because this born again experience, yes, is, is a moment. It's a decision that you make. But it's also a decision that you make every single day. And the real question is not, what kind of relationship do you want to have with Jesus? This is the real question. What kind of relationship does Jesus want to have with you? Because we don't get to establish it on our terms. That's his job. He's God. And he gets to tell us, this is what it's like to have a relationship with me. 
And you might be real comfortable in how your relationship is going with Jesus, but is he comfortable with how your relationship is going with him? So here's what we're going to do tonight. The worship team is going to come. And I want you to take that yellow piece of paper you got there, and I put a, put a pen on every single one of your seats. And just for a moment here, we're going to do a little self-diagnosis. No one's going to see this paper. This is just between you and the Lord tonight. Uh, but I've listed a series of statements, uh, and each one has, has a line in between. It's kind of like a continuum. And I'd like you to just put a, an X on the line uh, between the statement of where you feel right now. Okay, again, this is just between you and Jesus. But are you a potential fan of Jesus or are you devoted to Jesus? Where, where are you on that continuum? Just put a little mark. Do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus personally? Put a little mark on there. Which, where are you at? Do you admire Jesus or do you obey Jesus? Do you root for Jesus or are you surrendered to Jesus? Is your faith hidden or private or is your faith public? So you're just kind of um, marking on this continuum where you think that you fall. I'm going to give you a minute to do that. If you're still marking it, that's okay, but I want you to hang on that sheet for a minute. Let me tell you one more thing about Nicodemus before we close up today. The scripture actually doesn't tell us what Nicodemus does with that conversation. We don't know. It it leaves us on a cliffhanger. We see Jesus and Nicodemus talking, and then we don't really know what happened, but we we do know, I bet he did a self-diagnosis, probably something similar to what you're doing right now, later in John 19, we find this passage, so about, uh, you know, 13 chapters or so later. And this passage is, is right after Jesus was brutally crucified on the cross. It says, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. And with Pilate's permission, He came and he took the body away. Look at this, guys. Look at this. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body. The two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. And this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. When Nicodemus first met Jesus, he wasn't so sure where he stood. He, he, he wanted to keep his, his interest in Jesus hidden or a secret. But look at this in John 19. He's taking care of Christ's mutilated body with great care. And you know where he's doing it? In broad daylight. He's doing it when no one else is doing it. 
He's doing it for the whole town to see. No matter the cost, no matter how it would affect his reputation, no matter what anyone thought, Nicodemus had moved from a potential fan to a devoted follower because there was more after all. There was so much more. I really believe it is impossible to experience the actual truth of the cross and stay the same. Christ beckons us to go deeper, to come and see what the Lord has done for you. And when Nicodemus stood there and watched Jesus's life be taken from him for his sins, he had a whole different reaction. He said, I don't even care who sees me. I don't care if no one helps me. I'll go all alone and I'll go yelling and screaming, this is my God and this is my Lord and I'm gonna serve him. And he is the person that I love. Nicodemus transform because of his commitment and his understanding of the cross. Here's how I want to end tonight. Uh, Some of the staff is going to go to uh, some corners of the room to pray. And if you marked on your continuum that you want to move from knowing about God to knowing God personally, I want you just to go over here to this uh, these doors over here. I think, Marcus, would you stand up? Go over to where Marcus is and just get prayer from these awesome pastors that love you. They want to explain to you what it means to give your life to Christ, not at night, but in the day. (laughs) What it means to make this decision that's going to affect everything. If you're here tonight and you, you would say, you know, I'm a follower of Christ, but I need that new fresh energy to obey Jesus and to surrender Jesus. And I might have drifted a little bit because I feel real comfortable where I'm at. And I just need a, I just need a little understanding that, that, that what I can do, I can surrender, I can obey in ways that I am not already. Um, would some staff go over here to this exit sign and this door? Would you come pray with these guys? Kayla's on her way. I see over there. Kayla, we raise your hand. She over here. If you want to just have a new, fresh energy to obey Jesus and surrender to Jesus. All right, here's the last group. If you would say, maybe you marked on your continuum, uh, your faith is pretty private. Like the people in this room know you're here, but your family has no idea. Or, or your Kyle small group knows, but your dorm they would not even know. Your, your sports team that you play on, your, uh, the people that you work out with, the, the high school friends when you go back over break and you're not even the person that you are when you're on campus because you get sucked into what they're thinking and feeling. If that's you, if you said, look, I need a new boldness to share my faith publicly, not just privately. I want you to go in that back corner back there. I see Carl, would you raise your hand? Pastor Carl, he's back there. Go back there. Maybe you need filled with the Holy Spirit. You need a fresh anointing tonight from God to have a boldness. Did you know that the scripture says that he will fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you will be a witness, not just to the places near you, but all over the world. And if you're here tonight, you're like, yeah, I need that. Like, I need that boldness to share my faith. Would you go back there and pray with some staff? All right, would you stand? The worship team is going to keep leading us tonight, but you you go ahead right now. You go to the prayer area that you feel like uh, just you resonated with the most. And I want to encourage you, like Nicodemus did, take your relationship with Jesus to the next level. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.